There was hardly a breath of wind. Most of the ships weren't moving at all. But there was still the mayhem of battle, cannons and muskets being fired at close range. Officers shouting commands, pierced by the cries of the wounded. While the conflict raged, a one-eyed, one-armed master and commander stood on the quarterdeck of his ship, contemplating his fleet's next move. In his distinctive blue coat, bicorn hat and diamond cockade, it was clear to everyone in Europe that he was Vice Admiral Horatio Nelson. The problem was that it was also clear to a sniper high in the rigging of the French warship Redoutable. He took aim, squeezed the trigger, and in a single moment decided the fate of the greatest sailor in the world. The most noble Lord Horatio Nelson, Viscount and Baron Nelson of the Nile and of Burnham Thorpe in the county of Norfolk, Baron Nelson of the Nile and of Hillsborough in the said county, Knight of the Most Honourable Order of the Bath, Vice Admiral of the White Squadron of the Fleet, Commander-in-Chief of His Majesty's Ships in the Mediterranean, Duke of Bronte in the Kingdom of Sicily, Knight Grand Cross of the Sicilian Order of St. Ferdinand, and of Merit, Member of the Ottoman Order, of the Crescent Knight Grand Commander of the Order of St. Joachim. He would have liked that as an intro. He would have. Because he was a vain bastard. He was very ambitious. <laughs> and he liked titles and decorations and laudable uh, acceptance from a crowd. So here he is, Lord Horatio Nelson, known as Nelson to history. The only other Nelson that um, you can really say has broken through all the other uses of that name is our own Nelson Mandela, um, who tangentially was probably named after him. At least that was his mm. English name that was given to him while he was at missionary school. But this uh, this is the famous British hero, probably the most famous sailor in history. Yes, yeah, so the most famous sailor in history. And if we just step back to 1758 in Norfolk, as you, you mentioned in his titles, um, he uh, born seven weeks prematurely, tiny baby. They thought they didn't uh, think he was going to last. So they, they baptized him straight after his birth because they didn't think he was going to survive. And he was always sickly, and he was a small, a, a small boy, and actually ended up being a small man. I think he was five foot four. But the strength of character and the oh. size of his heart was just overpowering to well, achieve what he did. You've just gone to the start of his life as this premature, weak baby, and I'm just going to fast forward quickly to towards the end of his life. And we were talking about a haggard. Scarred 47 year old, um, one eye, one arm, couldn't really hear properly either because of all the cannon fire, was, uh, let's say less than good to his wife Fanny, although she mm -hmm. wasn't particularly honest with him either. These are the stories that remind you that sometimes you get stuck in a body where the spirit is greater than yeah. the physical presence. You know, this guy. 
if he'd been in a stronger body, who knows what he could have achieved. That's true. But as you say, born premature and ending up with, you know, one of everything rather than two. Yeah. This poor man, he must have been quite a sight towards the end of his yeah. life. Yeah. I mean, I think his, his lover mentioned his sight when she saw him coming in. And also, he, he played a little bit of a role in his, in his, in his own demise, probably because he was a very aggressive admiral, but also, he loved, you know, his ego. He loved to dress. Oh yeah. So he stood out. So the, so the sniper, it was quite easy to find him. Well, we've kind of uh, done a bit of a spoiler there on yeah. how it all ends. But let's go back to the beginning. This is a guy who also clearly he showed a lot of intelligence. His father was a priest. His mom died when he was very young. So he grew up with tremendous ambition, but he also showed himself to be quite fearless. And what was normal then is for kids to enroll in the navy at a very young age. You know, they became, um, they became kind of almost like servants to officers on the ships. And that's how they learned mm. to become sailors. I found that very unusual, age 12. 12. Which is insane. I mean, you think about a 12-year-old now. And mm. they're taken away from their parents, put on a vessel. He was always seasick, by the way. Mm. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I also heard about he that. He had seasickness from... The moment he first boarded a ship at age 12. And he struggled through his life. All the way through to the end of his life. You would think a sailor, because people usually go, oh, I don't get mm. seasick, so I'm, I'd probably make a good sailor. Here's the greatest sailor in the world, seasick the whole way through his life. So it's not true. You made it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, he also traveled far and wide. I mean, he spent an enormous amount of time in the Caribbean, in the Gulf of Mexico, um, in the, the, the Cayman Islands, Tenerife, mm. the Mediterranean, went off to the Nile and fought Napoleon. Mm. Really an incredibly full life, even in his 47 years. But he was, you know, his, his, his career was shaped. There was a little bit of luck at least because, um, so I'm not sure what his relationship was like with his dad, but his mom died, like you mentioned early and, he, I mean, there was nothing left for him. So that's why, you know, he ended up joining the Navy at such a young age. But he, his, his mom's brother, so his, his uncle was Captain Maurice Suckling and he right. took him under his wing. And, um, and he spent his teenage years with at least with him learning. So first of all, technically learning in the Thames and then also just going out to sea. So he spent his life on the sea, especially his, his teenage life on the sea with his uncle. And I think that made a massive difference um, to to you know the rest of his life and how he, uh, he he lived his life. But his mom dying young played out a lot. He was always looking for attention. Mm. Um, it was you know he had some tough lives in those days. It right. wasn't easy. Absolutely. Um, interesting that he was in the navy, learned how to be a, an able seaman, ended up being you know promoted quite quickly through the ranks mm. as he went on. And fought battles and took chances and well, lieutenant at fourteen and disobeyed his superiors very often, yeah, but true. when when proven to have made the right decision was rewarded rather than scolded and of course, in those days, what we 've got to remember from a context point of view is that the British Navy was coming into its real power there wasn 't at that stage any serious competitor to the Spanish who'd been in charge of the seas for years, still had the biggest ships and all mm. the rest of it. But the British had grown a very significant navy. They also had possessions all over the world that they had to patrol and trade with. And so shipping became an important part of the British economy and their military outlook. And really during the course of Nelson's life, I think they reached their apex. Mm. 
And the British Navy was then established as the most powerful Navy in the world for maybe a hundred, perhaps even 200 years after that. Mm. So it was a significant time for someone to have joined the Navy. This was the place and the time to make your name in the Navy. And yeah, if he'd been born a hundred years earlier or 50 years later, he might not have been the hero that he was. And then also, I think he was, he was one of the reasons why they reached the zenith. It was because of just his amazing skill. And, and he could preempt, he felt exactly what was going to happen. Well, they, they teach a lot of Napoleon's skills in like leadership school and all the rest of it, but they also teach a lot of Nelson mm. stuff. And really, in some ways, people always try to put Nelson and Napoleon up as, you know, two poles of a battle that was going on at the time. And, and you asked the question of me just before we started the recording. You said, you know, Wellington or Nelson? And, We'll save the answer for the end of the mm. podcast because I think everybody who, you know, is interested in that period of history has got thoughts about that. Mm. And also they were around at the time of Napoleon. Yeah. The, a good adversary makes for good heroes. Yeah. But um, I think when we get to it a little bit later in discussion, uh, just to discuss around Napoleon, because Napoleon was the first to admit that he, uh, that, that his navy was, was shocking. <laughs> and you know, his naval officers, they, they knew what was good for them and they'd not engage with Nelson. <laughs> so you would find out where these idiots were and they weren't engaging. He wanted to flip and kill them. So, so he really struggled, um, because he had superiority on land, but he could not get it in the sea. And that was actually part, a big part that allowed Wellington finally to to hit the, the nail in the coffin. So for starters, he went off to the West Indies, um, where you know there was a lot of British naval activity. There were also a lot of pirates there at that time. But it was really between them and the Spanish. The nice thing about being in the navy at that time, if you commanded a vessel and you captured another vessel, you got a large percentage of the loot. So you got to just whatever's on that ship. If mm. it was gold, you got to keep some of the gold. As the commanding officer and all the the uh, the sailors on your ship got a smaller percentage, mm. but you made your money this way because um, they paid you as a naval officer. But the real money was yeah. in, in scoring booty. You know, he wasn't that interested in the money. It seems no, but he was quite interested in this girl who he met, called Fanny. Mm. Great name. Um, she was from what seemed like a very nice family. Uh, her father was a minor colonial official. Um, he promised Nelson a nice dowry, lots of money, if he married Fanny. Um, Nelson said, sure. And it transpired just before they got, they got married that the whole thing was made up. He didn't have any money, the father. Fanny was infertile, so she couldn't have children. And Nelson, being an honorable guy, still went through with the marriage. Okay, so I didn't pick that up because there was a child. So maybe it was no, not adopted. from her. Okay, no. that's incredible. She was, she was, um, she couldn't bear children, and okay. they, and she kept it secret from him. Really? Yeah. And so, uh, and just interestingly enough, just on that point, his his um his best man was William the later to be William the fourth. Right. Who was then called? I mean, he was also called Sail, Sailor Bill, or by, something by like his that. own family because yeah. he, he loved you know the navy and he was on the ships a lot of the time. But yeah, that's interesting. And so that so she lied to him. She lied to him. So there's, there's a lot of stuff to discuss mm. there, you know, and from a psychological point of view, what that means. Yeah, because importantly, later on, it, it definitely plays a role. Oh, yeah. I mean, they didn't really, there, there was a lot of romance in the beginning. She was apparently very pretty. She was apparently very lovely. 
he was always attracted to highly intelligent and beautiful women. I mean, who isn't? Um, so, <laughs> so he, he chose well there, but he had no idea that she was keeping these secrets from him. Anyway, he married her and they ended up remaining married until his death. Um, even though they fell out of love and things started to go south quite quickly when she moved back to England. Okay. So when he was in the West Indies, so, so he did have a lot of run-ins with either the Admiralty or with some of the, the top brass in the areas that he was operating in. And I think that this is, this is an area that a time of his life where he ended up with quite a lot of depression post this. Um, it, it, during the time of the war, the American war of independence, um, and it had just ended and the British were now in control. So there were certain things that, that weren't allowed to be done. So t- from a trading perspective, now, Americans couldn't trade with British colonies. Correct. The trade embargo. No. A hundred percent. And, and, um, and so he strictly enforced it and then, uh, much to the disgust because everybody was on the take and corrupt <laughs> in that area. And, and so they complained bitterly to the Admiralty about his behavior and he ended up Basically, being shipped back home and uh, spent the next five years back at his in his hometown in Norfolk at half pay mm. because of these things, and they, you know, they did play up. Well, in apparently, life. he was also a bit of a disciplinarian. He liked keeping everybody on the ship fit. They had to do exercise every day. He made sure that they, you know, if there's anyone who was insubordinate, they were immediately flogged, and really. You know, despite the fact that later on in his career, he had huge loyalty from his commanders and his ordinary sailors because he treated them all very well. You know, he dined with them the night before his final battle and that kind of thing. But he also looked after the ordinary sailors and they looked up to him. But in the beginning of his career, he was very strict about Mm. things. He said, there are rules. We don't break the rules. And this goes to what you were saying about the trade embargo. Yeah, and I suppose that hurt his career. Yeah, but because um, most of them were corrupt. Correct, exactly. <laughs> and then also that there was a situation. Um, he also mishandled a um, like a delicate situation with 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 the prince, as we just mentioned, who was his his um, his best man at his wedding, uh, William Henry, who later became you know William the Fourth, um, and he got involved in a dispute with his first lieutenant. This is William now, and and he didn't want to. He allowed the young prince to get away with it a bit you know because he just saw him as a very important person and he didn't want to you know fall foul of it at that particular time so so ultimately in the end he wasn't he was unimpressed the admiralty were very unimpressed and he was basically sent home and he was lingering around on half pay uh, for the next five years luckily for him napoleon was on the move well this is long before napoleon was well known but one of his first jobs as a, a French uh, artillery officer was to besiege the port of Toulon, which was an important place where the French fleet would uh, would be harbored. Napoleon was very good at setting up the siege. He was excellent at arranging the cannon. Little did Nelson know and little did Napoleon know that at this stage, while they were both young, they would be facing each other for the first time here. And the British managed to blockade the port. Uh, successfully, Napoleon managed to uh, besiege Toulon successfully. They both had victories to boast about from that, but they didn't actually meet at that point. They probably never did meet. Mm. I think Nelson only ever met Wellington yes. once before he died. So all of these great men, while their paths crossed, they didn't actually, actually get, meet on the, on the get battlefield. Yeah. yeah. So that was his first proper 
But um, he, and fight. this is also where he um, around that time is where he lost sight in his right eye. So from, from dust, yeah, he went into a land battle. He he was he was very gung ho. So he, he he disembarked and actually led a charge on land, and a, a cannonball hit some sandbags and sprayed sand and stone and 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 obviously you know there was there was gunpowder and all the rest and into his eye damaged his optic nerve mm-hmm. he could never see out of his right eye ever again that was the first of his major problems from a physical point of view after but he a used battle. it he used it quite cleverly in, in in a battle later on one of his <laughs> other famous battles yeah he was in copenhagen where he was taking on the danish fleet it was his idea to to get them up before they even left the port to join the the russians and um, he just ignored a signal from his commanding officer to to do what the commanding officer right, to pull out, right? To pull, yeah, to essentially to retreat, and said, "Oh, I, I'm sorry, I must have used the telescope on my bad eye, so I couldn't see the signal." Does that term "turn a blind eye" come from that? Ah, uh, may well. It may well. I'm not entirely sure, but he certainly did that, and he would. He had a good sense of humor about it. Uh, he also lost his arm later on. In another land battle that didn't go so well, it seems he was fine on on mm. the on the sea. As soon as he went onto the land, bad things happened. But this particular battle, he felt terrible about because he lost men, and uh, he, he lost his arm, and um, so it's one of the he's one of the few defeats that he had in his in his career. But apparently, they amputated his his arm without any. Sedation. Or, no, there was nothing. Listen, we're talking about medicine in inverted commas. They didn't know about bacteria or infections mm-hmm. or any of that stuff. So the only thing you could do if someone's arm bone, his humerus, was splintered by cannon and musket fire and all the rest of it. So all they could do is cut it off. So it was cut off sort of mm. between the elbow and the shoulder. And they would saw through it with like a, you know, the kind of saw, like a jigsaw that you would use. To cut wood, and you'd have to they they'd take a scarf or something, put it between your teeth. You'd bite down on this thing. If you were lucky, they'd give you some brandy or something mm. to kind of numb it. But you'd need a lot of brandy sure. to not feel that. And then they'd saw through your bone, and that that was there goes Nelson's mm. arm. And then they just threw it overboard. And then the next day, I was back on top. <laughs> it's just insane. I can't believe it. <laughs> so, all right, we're talking about a, a guy now who's definitely seen some action. And um, we're going to condense a lot of the amazing travels that he did. I mean, he chased Villeneuve, the mm. French admiral, across <clears throat> the Atlantic and back again. He went up into the Baltic to to fight the the Danes in Copenhagen. Yes. He was often around Spanish ships laden with gold on the you know the the western coast of Europe, and also famously fought at the Battle of the Nile, where he led. A whole bunch of British ships into what the French thought was an was a completely defensible position. In fact, the French were so confident that the British wouldn't get through mm. that they put all of their firepower on the port side of the ship, yeah. and Nelson he snuck through and started attacking them on the starboard yeah. side, and they had no defense planned. It was his most complete victory, and it just completely threw Napoleon's Egyptian campaign just in. Threw it in the bush. Yeah. And, and, you know, Disaster. that was a tough thing in Napoleon's career. You know, when we talk about Napoleon's career, that Egyptian disaster was tough for him. And Nelson played a massive role in that. 
And he had to sneak around and escape because Nelson was looking for him. That's right. And he had to sneak around and he did actually get back to France. But that was his, one of his greatest victories. And I think that what's important to note here is that strategically, and we've spoken about a lot of gr- great military tacticians many, many times on, on, on our podcasts. And he was, a, he, 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 his tactics, they were brilliant. So far advanced of what people were used to. Fighting in lines versus bringing boats on either side. Not being scared to go in shallow water. In Copenhagen, they went into very shallow water and his enemy got stuck. And his head of command, because he wasn't allowed because they thought, you know, they were always grumpy with him. They hit the, the guys back in, in England. They, he said all uh, Nelson's uh, ships have run aground. So that's why he raised the flag. But ultimately it was these guys and, and, and Nelson had maneuvered them into, into shallow waters in their own port. Yeah. So he was, they should have known better. Well, they should have known better. So, 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 Technically, he was incredible. And it's almost like he could figure out what their game plan was before anything had happened. Mm. So he could, he could almost foresee what was going to happen and managed to counteract all their moves. And it, it drove them crazy. Now, Napoleon was as good on land, mm. but there really weren't many people in all of naval history who could say that they had this ability to, to plot an enemy's move before they'd even made it. And if you look at Villeneuve, I mean, Villeneuve had the wrath of Napoleon. Oof. You know, if he had the communication that we have today, I think every second, every minute, Napoleon would have been screaming at him yeah. on the phone because he, um, abusive boss. Yeah. And, and, but, but, the, you know, they said, no, we know we're going to be killed. So we're actually not even going into battle. That was the French Navy strategy. And it just drove him mad that he could never get. A strong navy to support his land, his land battles. And, and Nelson, you know, the barriers to entry for these guys to, 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 to get anywhere was, was, was extremely high. Well, um, he was mostly the lord of the Mediterranean for that period. And, you know, the British controlled the seas and it was very difficult for anyone to move a ship in or out of, you know, the Straits of Gibraltar or the Bosphorus or anywhere else at this point without Nelson knowing about it. And while he was there, something interesting happened. He went off to Naples and he met William Hamilton, who was the British ambassador to Naples, and William Hamilton's wife, who was a certain Lady Alexandra, what was her name? Emma. Emma Hamilton, that's right. Lady Emma Hamilton, apparently also beautiful and intelligent, ticked those two boxes, so, you know, Nelson's interest was piqued. And he immediately started uh, an affair with her. And it was a very public affair. Everyone mm. in the world seems to have known it was going on. Mm. William was apparently okay with it. They kind of formed this thruple and lived yeah. together for yeah, quite was, a long time. It was exactly like that. It seemed, yeah. you know, he knew about it. And I think he'd, he'd almost accepted it uh, <laughs> because he, I think he really loved Emma uh, yeah. Hamilton. And, and he said, look, I'm not going to be able to keep her. Um, so, but I will be able to keep her in this. This type of environment, Nelson's married, so I think it just worked at the time. But uh, but the but the 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 press, I don't know what you would call it in those days. I mean, the, the, it was very it was properly frowned upon. Well, I mean, during his life, because he was such a hero, I think he and Emma got away with it. But as soon as he died, they turned on her horribly mm. and they called her an adulterer. And you know, they had a daughter called Horatia, who was clearly Nelson's daughter. She ended up having 10 kids. She died in the late 1800s. But, you know, 
she was essentially treated quite badly too, even though all Nelson wanted, he said, despite not changing his will, he said, please just look after Emma and my daughter. Mm. It's all he wanted in his final wishes while he was dying on that ship at the end. But we'll get to that in a second. So essentially, Nelson rises up the ranks. He was a bit pissed off that they made him a baron. He thought he deserved higher than that. On a viscount. The, on the rank. Yeah. He wanted to be a viscount. He thought that was probably better. But he probably thought even more. Mm. Um, he probably expected to be you know, made a duke like Wellington mm. would be. Um, didn't happen. Uh, he also thought that you know, being being Sir at an early, relatively early stage of his career was was also a bit cheeky. He expected more from that too, and he liked hanging around with very powerful, very connected people. He also loved when people clapped and cheered for him. And for a while, he did a tour of England, um, where he was very well received. Mm. So people really celebrated him as a hero, and they needed good news at that point. Napoleon was victorious everywhere in Europe. It looked like, you know, it was going to be a whitewash for him. And essentially, you know, Nelson was this one star in, a, in an otherwise quite dark sky for them. And, you know, he built this PR machine around himself uh, that played a big role in, in being as famous as he was. He was he really knew how to play this. Yeah, and, and there weren't a lot of celebrities around at that time. No. He milked it for all it was worth. 100%, yes. So let's fast forward to the last chapter of his life because we could talk about each of his battles and his genius and all of them. I think we've covered a few of those. But the final battle was at Trafalgar. What makes this such an interesting battle is it really was decisive. It was all about control of the seas. And it couldn't have been a greater apex moment for any sailor than it was for, for Nelson. So he was on his ship, the Victory. Um, he had told all of his sailors they weren't allowed to climb up into the rigging and fire muskets like the French were, um, because he was worried that they would set fire to the sails. Uh, so it was kind of easy to see what was going on on his mm. ship. The French at this point were desperate. They had been broadsided. Most of their ships were on fire. Yeah, from the both English, sides. Yeah. The English had waged a far superior battle um, on, on the French, and they had no way of fighting it. They also had better ships, faster ships. Mm. The French were kind of big and and, and, you know, heavy. They didn't move quickly enough. They were commanded by inexperienced sailors and they knew they were an inferior navy to the French. But there were all these guys in the rigging and they could kind of spot Nelson standing on the quarter deck in his mm. famous blue coat. With that big diamond on his hat. Right. That he was uh, given by that. Correct. Maple, so, I mean, he was kind of like a sitting duck. Mm. And one of the, the sailors on the Redoutable, just took a pot shot, hit him, and it got him right in the spinal cord. He was immediately disabled, fell down, and took a long while to die, mm. but got to see victory. Yeah, And he got famously to, to utter his last words, which were, thank God I've done my duty, and knew that the English had mm. properly beaten the French at this seminal battle. So in some way, it is a poetic ending for him. He was buried in St. Paul's Cathedral in a tomb which you can still go and visit. It's one of the grandest tombs in England. It was originally intended for Henry VIII. That's true. And it's oh, now… Cardinal, Cardinal… Cardinal Wolsey. Wolsey. But then Henry, Henry took wants it. it. <laughs> Henry took it. And then in that buried um, Nelson. Nelson in it. And really there hasn't been 
or there wasn't an English funeral, a public funeral as big as Nelson's, probably until Princess Diana. Yeah, and the and the and the amount of people that just left St Paul's Cathedral walking around, and the people uh, the the people hadn't even left. It was just insane because it was a different era. Sure, and there wasn't TVs or anything like that no. in those days, but there was just massive, massive sadness. They were the, the nation just mourned. They were mourning mourning a hero and his team. You know that 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 were with him. They were just mourning him as a man. It was a massive. He was an incredible leader. And, uh, his, and it was his, such a loss. His statue is probably in the most central place in all of, mm. of London. Um, you know, Trafalgar Square, which is named after that battle and, and Nelson's column in the middle of it. It's a meeting place. It's a central public square of London. It's also, you know, famous for all the most important protests and our South Africa mm. house, our embassy is right on Trafalgar Square. Um, Canada house is there too, the British Museum. It's an incredible place and he's been honored Throughout history, you know, Winston Churchill said he was an inspiration of his mm. during the Second World War. There are so many things named after him all over the world. Yeah. And also some of the, the rituals in the Navy. So the blood of Nelson, so without drink brandy because he, they embalmed him, his body when at, at the end of the, the battle, they embalmed him in brandy to keep him. <laughs> To keep him fresh, but the, the challenge, funeral. but the challenge was that that the brandy swelled his face so much that they covered it at the funeral, <laughs> so it backfired a little bit. But now they're still doing it to this day, where they drink the blood of of Nelson. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of these things. Whenever I think of the British Navy, I think of that, um, <laughs> which is like the famous um, sailor song. And uh, I'm sure that this guy epitomizes all of that more than anyone else. Yeah. I mentioned at the beginning of this that you'd asked me a question before we started recording. Who was the greater hero. military hero? Yes. Wellington or Nelson? Nelson. What do you think? Well, I've, I've, uh, you know, we've, I've looked a lot into both of them and, um, it's just so difficult because they, they, you know, the one fought on land, the other one fought in the sea. They both had great strategies. I would, I, you know, the thing is, is I'd go with Nelson. And uh, okay, so then Nelson and Napoleon. Oh, yeah. Napoleon's a hero of mine. It's <laughs> <laughs> a tough one. It is a tough one, but I mean, Napoleon didn't have anything on on Nelson when it came to, you know, it looked like he was coming out in his lalo, you know, and he, yeah, you know, it's just. So, so these are just it's such a good question. I don't know how to answer them because I just think it all depends on where. Like, if I were at sea in the 1800s, I would want Nelson mm. in charge. Agreed. If I were on land, I'd want Napoleon on charge. Mm. In charge. Um, if, if, or, or Wellington, who ultimately mm. beat Napoleon. Yeah. You know, but while Napoleon was in his in his heyday, he was unstoppable, and Nelson was the same. I think that 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 Napoleon. You know, he was definitely a military man, but he was also looking big picture strategy, whereas Wellington was a military man. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Nelson, for that matter, just knew what he, he, and what was great about Nelson was that he would, well, let me just be careful when I say great, but he would annihilate a lot. Often his predecessors would say, yes, we'll just rattle them up a bit. <laughs> and he would say, no, we need to annihilate them. You know, so <laughs> he wouldn't be happy with anything less. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Blind History. Every episode is available on the Cliff Central app, cliffcentral.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.